And the adversary says, give in. Just hold on. Our Lord will show up. And he will take you through the fire again. Oh, I know within myself that I would surely perish. But if I trust the hand of God, he'll shield the flames again. He never promised that the cross would not get heavy and the hill would not be hard to climb. He never offered victories without fighting, but he said, Remember where you're standing in the valley of decision and the adversary says give in just hold on our Lord will show up and he will take you through the fire again so just hold on our Lord will show will take you through the fire serve God like any other day bound and determined to live in God's favor nothing would stand in his way then the messengers came one by one with their stories in just a few moments, Job lost all he had. From his great wealth and riches to the health of his body, even his children were dead. Then his wife came before him to voice her opinion. Said you should end it, just curse God and die. But Job rose from the ashes and he looked up towards heaven. He brushed back the tears from his eyes and he said, The Lord giveth and he taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I served him before and I'll serve him today. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. When troubles come suddenly, blessed be the name. When strong winds blow violently, blessed be the name. When Satan comes oppressing me, blessed be the name. I'll still serve God faithfully. Blessed be the name. The Lord giveth and he taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I serve him before and I'll serve Blessed be the name of the Lord. Still rage. 
stages, but in the rock of ages, I'm pressing warmly here under my Lord's wings. if you would, in your Bible to the book of Amos, Amos chapter number one. I got a couple of announcements. I want you to remember that on Friday from 9.30 to noon, the Fellowship Hall, GPA Workday. They're going to be folding some letters, getting some stuff ready for that. I don't want you to forget that. And then uh, today, I was on a call with Kogan, Dale, Jake Potter, and... Uh, Brother Stephen Cox, and uh, we were talking about our uh, conference that's going to be in the middle of March there. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, uh, these men, they, they love the Bible. They love preaching the Bible. Uh, I am so excited about it, and I'm excited about the morning meetings that we're going to do on Thursday and Friday, just two days, and they're going to be sessions. It's not going to be like uh, we're going to hold it in the fellowship hall. I'm going to really try to persuade you right here. Nancy Dewey's going to make breakfast on Thursday morning. So, I mean, that right there, you ought to come out. So that'll be 8.30 to 9.30 breakfast, and then we're going to have tables set up. You can have your cup of coffee and sit there, listen to these gentlemen talk about uh, how we cultivate uh, things. We're going to talk about, uh, and I have other pastors coming from other places. We really want it to be uh, a discussion as well, but we're going to talk about Sunday school time, using the Word of God during that, teaching in different ways, using the Word of God. I was uh, stressing to them uh, what I call expository apologetics, where it's not that we just argue our case for what we believe, but we use the Bible to speak about what we believe. Uh, we also talked about everything. I'm so excited. And those men were just jumping on it. How to use an illustration properly when you're using it in a message. You ever wondered if the... Have you ever heard one of the messages where the only thing you remembered was the illustration? That's a problem, right? Okay? You should walk out of there remembering the Word of God. Amen? But anyway, so we want to talk about all those things, and that'll be in the morning sessions. It'll be very comfortable over there. You can have your coffee. 
Uh, and that to me, I'm fine as long as I can have a cup of coffee. We can do just about anything if I can have a cup of coffee and do it. But anyway, so we're looking forward to that. Those guys are going to do a great job. Uh, so don't forget that. Mark it down. It's all out there. And it'll just be two mornings, uh, Thursday, Friday morning. So remember that. All right. In the book of Amos. And don't forget that workday Friday. That's this Friday, 930 to 12. I don't know if he's going to give you breakfast. I don't know. No, they'll have donuts. I knew they would. They better get them from Holy Grounds now, huh? Oh, they're stuffing them with coffee and donuts. Okay. All right. Amos chapter number one. I just want to read a couple of verses. Stand with me if you would real quick. We're going to read down through verse number three. The words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn at the top of Carmel, and the top of Carmel shall wither. For thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again for the opportunity to come into the house of God tonight. You've already met with us. It's been a blessing. We pray that now as we open up the Word of God and take a look at it this evening, that you'll use it to challenge our hearts You'll use it to show us what we need to see from these scriptures. And we pray that you just help us in a great way. Dear Lord, we know that uh, as we study these scriptures, that uh, sometimes the application is a little bit deeper. Uh, and we need that. And dear Lord, we also are going to see tonight that, dear Lord, it oftentimes uh, is easier for us to look elsewhere. But dear God, the word of God is meant for me. It's not meant for them out. It is a part for them. I get that. But dear God, let us come in tonight understanding that the word of God that is presented is for me. I need this word. I need to grow. I need to be challenged by its truth. So tonight, dear God, let us look into the mirror of your word and do the work that needs to be done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here we go. We're starting in the book of Amos. We went through the book of Joel, uh, and we were happy to do that. Again, we're going to kind of give an overview. We're going to make sure that we've got an understanding of where we're going with it, uh, and we're going to put a few things together. I'm not going to go into a bunch of detail. Again, those are the things that you can find a lot of different places, but Amos is a farmer. We see it right here. Uh, he is a herdman. We're going to find out later on in the book that he's also a uh, of sycamore fruit, which is a type of uh, sycamore tree that has uh, figs on it. Uh, and so he's a farmer. He's used to shepherding. He's used to farming. And God calls him right out of the fields to go from where he's at in Judah to go north into Israel and to preach the message that there's going to be destruction in Israel. And that's what he is doing in these passages of Scripture. So he's giving them that rebuke. Now, it labels itself out like this. 
The book of Amos is nine chapters, somewhat longer compared to some of the other books that we've looked at in the Minor Prophets. And so it's important, I also believe, and I'll share this in a minute, that we make sure that we label it out. But in chapters 1 and 2, Joe, uh, Amos is making sure that they understand God's complaint with the surrounding people. And we're going to go through this here in just a moment. But then also as he does that, he zeroes in on the nation of Israel and on the nation of Judah. And so I want you to notice that, how he does that. He starts outward and then he starts working inward in chapters 1 and 2. As he goes through chapters 3 and 6, he starts to speak of poetic and the poems that he is speaking are of the judgments that will come to Israel. Judgments because they believe that they have been privileged. Judgments because in Bethel that the temple that's there has allowed idols to come into it. Judgment because of their worthless worship. They're worthless. We need to remember that one as we go through. For also for their neglect of the poor and the things that they would do in there. And he's going to dis describe all of that. And he's bringing these judgments down upon them for there. And then in chapter 7 through 9, you're going to see Amos's visions. Amos is going to have three visions of things destroying the nation of Israel. A plague of grasshoppers, a scorching fire, and overripe fruit that's in a basket that needs to be destroyed. Now, I gave you the overview, and I want to use this as just a little bit of a teaching point for just a moment as you read your Bible. If you were to go up to your Bible and open it up and start in Amos chapter 1 and read right the way through the nine chapters of the book of Amos, you would get done with it and probably go, what in the world did I just read, right? I mean, it's going to move. It's going to move quickly from almost one thought to the next. It's going to move quickly from the fact that we're talking about poetry to now that we're moving into Amos's visions. And you're going to get lost in that, and you're probably not going to glean too much of it. The reason I say that is when you come to a book like Amos, or especially when you come to the major prophets, you need an outline that is going to help you with to, to show you what am I reading in this part of the Bible right here. What is it that the prophet is talking about? And, and the reason I felt so uh, compelled to share that is because as I was studying Amos, I kept getting lost, right? I had to keep the outline right here, and I had to be like, what is going on, right? What is Amos talking about now? He has jumped ships over this time and over that one. And a lot of times, if you have a good uh, reference Bible, it will give you outlines. Sometimes in the back, if you have a Thomas, uh, if you have a Nelson chain uh, reference Bible, all of them are in the back, and you can go to the back and find all of these amazing outlines that will break down the chapters into what he's talking about. And you can move back there and see that. Uh, whether you use that or something else. If you use Blue Letter Bible, I don't know how many use that. What an amazing resource that we have that you can just zero in on lots of different outlines and lots of different commentaries in one single place. It's a great tool. If you don't have that, you should uh, look to get Blue Letter Bible. It's available on, in all of those you know, apps that you can get for your phone, your tablet, and all that good stuff, your computer as well. But anyway, I wanted to point that out 
Because I do believe that for a lot of people, there's frustration when they read the Word of God, uh, and so it's a chore. They get through it. They do it, and they're like, well, I did that. I want to check that. But we want to be, stu- if we believe this, right? If we believe that the Word of God has the power to change our life, amen, then we ought to be students of the Word of God. And if we believe in the whole council, which is what we were so drilling home today with these gentlemen, if we believe in the whole council, then the book of Amos still has something for me today. Amen. Right? Big amen goes there. That was your opportunity to get it. So we see the outline of it. We see all the things that he puts together. And so tonight, just for a moment, we're going to focus in on chapters 1 and 2. And we're going to see that here comes Amos and he starts to speak. I've got several things that I want to do with this. This is a great book. And Amos is a great character who we actually have some good information about. And I was so tempted tonight to start out and be like, hey, we're going to go right to Amos. Check this guy out. He's awesome. Uh, But we would have had to move way into the book before we see some of this big information about him. And as I was getting that stuff ready, I was like, no, that's not how the Bible introduces Amos. The Bible introduces Amos very quickly. Here he is. He's a herdman of Tekoa. He's coming from this little town that's just kind of right there near Bethlehem. Uh, and, and he's he's an everyday Joe. You wouldn't know much of him, but he makes his journey into Israel to preach. And we really don't know much about him at first, but we're going to see more of it later. And we're going to let the Bible introduce Amos as we go through week by week. But Amos, even though, this is awesome, even though Amos, he's going to tell you later, I'm not a prophet and I'm not the son of a prophet. I'm not somebody big. I'm just a farmer. Amos's preaching is really slick. Amos is no joke. Amos has a way of coming here and kind of lowering the boom in a way that's like, whoa. Okay, and here's what I mean. So here's what he does as we look at chapters 1 and 2, and we talk about this zeroing in. In verse number 3 that we read, he says this, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Now I want you to drop down to verse number 6. You ready? Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. So we went from Damascus, and then we went to Gaza. I want you to go down to verse number 9. In verse number 9, he says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyrus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. So he goes from Damascus, and then he goes to Gaza, and then he goes to Tyre, or Tyrus, as he would say there. Then I want you to jump down to verse number 11. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And he starts to go in and name some names and talk about some stuff, but he says it again. Then in verse number 13, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And then if we go to chapter 2 and verse number 4, 
Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment. And then when we get to verse number six, thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment there. Now you might say, Mike, you just said the same thing over and over. How is that slick preaching? Well, we didn't talk about this, but remember how we talked about in Joel, how he never really said specific sins that they were dealing with? Well, guess what? Amos is the flip of that card. Amos is going to call them out to the carpet for everything that they've been doing, and he gets pretty rough about it. Amos has got no problem. You know what we understand and see from about that? Guess what? Sometimes it's okay for the preacher to stand up and say, hey, this is still wrong, folks. Amen? Amen. A big one goes right there, okay? We're not going to hit him tonight. Guess what? That's later when we get there. But guess, here he is, and he's the man of God, and he has a word of God, and he says, this is how you are sinning against God. Now, here's how his preaching is slick. Number one, it was really bothering me. Why did he keep using that phrase, right? Why did he keep saying for three transgressions and even for four, I'm not going to turn away our punishment? Well, it's a little bit of a play on words when we look at it in Hebrew. And really he's, what he's saying here is he's saying, listen, you're not just, you know, kind of, you're not kind of messing up here a little bit. You're heaping sin upon sin. As a matter of fact, you've made it a career over there. It's what you're good at. You have sinned, and then you've said, we like our sin, and we're going to keep on sinning. And so this is where God has this complaint against you because there's no repentance of your sin. There's no sorry in your heart. There's nothing that you feel for it. You have three transgressions, and you say, hey, let's make it a nice round four. And here we go. So here they go, and they just keep sinning. And they keep sinning. So he uses that over and over. Here's the second thing that he does that's pretty slick. As, as Amos makes his way up into Israel to preach, he starts out with a message of, hey, my message is against Damascus. You know what all the Israelites said? That's right. Them Damascus people are a bunch of heathens. Preach on, Amos. Preach on. Hmm. You're starting to get it, aren't you? Yeah. He's winning them, right? They're like, come on, Amos, preach. We know there are a bunch of wicked people over there. Hey, it's easy to get amens in church when you stand up and start talking about, you know, the compromisers down the road or how wicked it is out in D.C. Uh, or how bad it is over there, right? Everybody's amening you. Everybody's saying, preach on, preacher. But guess what? Then he says, hey, for four sins in Gaza. And they went, yeah, they're pretty bad over there too. But they're getting kind of close, amen? Right? And he starts to zero in. And all of a sudden, they start to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't like where this is going, Amen. You're going the wrong direction. But you know, sometimes this is exactly what we need, isn't it? As a matter of fact, we see that this is a, a technique that 
that he's not the only prophet that used. Nathan used this technique when he came to David. And he said to David, remember it? You know it, don't you? And he told David the story and he said, hey, there was a man in your kingdom who had one little lamb and he loved that little lamb. But his neighbor had all kinds of lambs. You remember that story, don't you? And he said, yeah. And he went over to his house and took his one lamb that they kept in the house and that they loved like a pet. And he killed it and fed it to his guest who had stopped by. And David said, who is the man? He's a dead man. What did Nathan say? You're the man. You're the man. Sometimes it's true, isn't it? We have a difficult time understanding the weight of our sin when we're looking at us, right? We justify it. We talk about it. We're, no, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. But when we look down the road and we look at it and we're like, what? Look at what they're doing over there. And then the prophet says, you're doing it too. And all of a sudden, the weight of our sin starts to sink in. We need to see it in the lens of somebody else. This is what Amos does. Comes up and he starts to preach. They're looking around and they're going, yeah, oh man, Damascus is a wicked town. Eden's a wicked town. Look at them Moabitess over there. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Us? Us too? Oh yeah, it's the same things, isn't it? So Amos is, is a pretty clever guy. So he brings this message to them where he zeroes it in on them and he makes sure that they understand this. The second thing that I want us to notice as we look at chapter 2 and as he closes it out is not only does he zero in, but I already mentioned it before, but he has no problem speaking to them about their sin. Now I want you to look at these things as we look at them. Okay, let's go down to verse number 6. Thus saith the Lord, for there are three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver. He's saying, listen, you sold, you sold Israelites into slavery. It's a big deal. We don't got time to go back. It's a big deal. Sold Israelites into slavery. He said, you've used them. Because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. You have exploited the poor. You have used them again for your gain. We're going to talk about this in this, in this book specifically as we get down the line because he's going to call them out. We've already talked about it, chapters 3 through 6. He continues to call them out on their sin, and, and he shows us a beautiful way of how they ended up with this sin in their life. And we're going to talk about that when we get there, kind of getting to that point in a minute. But these are the sins that he says. You're exploiting them. He said the pair of shoes. That pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor. He's basically said you pile on to them that are already at a disadvantage. This is an interesting topic, isn't it? He said you see the poor around you and instead of helping them, you heap it on them more. This is, this is a message for us, right? Yeah, we already feel it, don't we? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just go ahead and, and say this. I felt this convicted me. Remember how I said it's me, right? Right? 
This is what the Word of God is for. When I was praying, this was me. I really felt like this was convicting my heart. Before COVID, I felt like we, the thrust of our church was in service. Like, there was just so much going on where we served and we whether it was at the Paris Foundation or whether it was in different places and different things that were moving. And, and COVID, because it had to, I get it. It took it away, didn't it? It took it away. Yeah. And I, I feel pretty guilty that we haven't got back there yet. We've kind of dropped that service. We've kind of almost neglected. And I get it. it I mean, things are different. Things are harder. There's a lot of things going on. But it's still a commandment for the church, the body of Christ, to be about helping the poor. Our job. I can't, I can't, I, if you had a lot of time, I can talk to you about the benefits of it, the way that it helps a church grow, what it does for you as an individual, that you learn about God's love for you. I can talk about all of that. But I'm going to stop the buck right here. We have been commanded by the word of God as the body of Christ to care for the poor. It ought to stop right there and go, we're going to go do that. We're going to find out where we can serve. And I have a whole series of messages called The Difference in Doing, and you might remember me preaching those, but I still believe that that rings true, that we've got to, and this is coming, like I said, it was looking right at me, that guess what, we have got to get back. And wouldn't you know it, isn't it like the Lord? just send a gentleman to knock on our door today that obviously has been living outside for a while and I was like come right in here sit down <laughs> you know let's talk let's talk what can we do Lord knows what he's doing amen we're gonna see them enter into our congregation into our time hey let's still remember but by the grace of God there go I Amen. Boy, let's, let's remember that part. Anyway, I didn't mean to make all that application. It just, it was on my heart. Like I said, it kept looking at me. Notice what else he said. He turned aside of the meek, and he's finishing that thought. He also starts to go, and a man and his father will go into the same maid. I told you, he's, got, he's not pulling no punches. Like, you are living wickedly, fulfilling the lust of faith. And unfortunately, we live in a world where the lust of the flesh seems to be no limit to how folks will be willing to gratify it. And unfortunately, let's be honest, it creeps into the church, doesn't it? And we got to preach it everywhere. Not everyone. we got to preach it when the Word of God says to preach it. Amen. And here he is, and he says, listen, this has brought destruction. This is bringing destruction to you. It's not even hard to make this application. When this gift of God is put outside of the wrong... We haven't changed, right? We believe one man, one woman, forever. That's the correct context for sex, right? That's it. We ain't changed. <laughs> the rest of the world, that's the one. You get married, there you go, right? That's it. Outside of that, any deviation from that destroys relationships in our life. It does. Destroys. It destroys relationships with God, with our spouse, with our children. It's a destroyer of those things, fulfilling those wicked lusts. And then he keeps on going. 
They lay themselves down upon clothes, laid the pledge by every altar. They drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Yet destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars and was as strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. He's talking about how I laid waste to the enemies of God for similar things. Even it doesn't matter how strong they were, what was going on. Also, I brought you up out of Egypt. This has got so much in it that's talking about kind of, ex, kind of expected more. You know, this is that privilege. We're going to talk about this because he's going to come back to this. That Israel, I've put you in a choice position, right? We feel that here, don't we? Right? To whom much is given, much is required, right? We feel that privilege here of being raised under the godly count and in this type of environment, amen? And we pray that God will protect it and that God will use it. And here he's calling out Israel and he said, I put you in a choice position. But you would not be faithful. Would not be faithful. And as he keeps going here, he says, but uh, verse number 11, and I raised up of your sons, the prophets, and of your young men, the Nazarites. He's like, listen, I gave you prophets, men of God, who I spoke directly to. I raised up Nazarites who took a vow to be holy and separated unto God. But notice what you did. But you gave the Nazarites wine and commanded the prophets, saying, prophesy not. Behold, I am pressed under you as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. Therefore the flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not strengthen his force, neither shall the mighty deliver himself, neither shall he stand that handleth the bow, and he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself. Neither he that shall ride at the horse deliver himself. He that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, saith the Lord. He says, he says, you have not valued what was sacred. What I set up, what I, what I decreed, he goes all the way back to where he says, listen, and they lay, verse number eight, they lay themselves down upon clothes and laid a pledge by every altar. There were things that were set apart in the house of God to be sacred, and you laid down right beside them, committed evil acts. I set up men of God who were supposed to be prophets who came to say, thus saith the Lord, and you would not hear them. I separated myself, Nazarites, who would do the work of God and meet the work of men and, and be this unique people unto God. But you gave them wine. You made them unholy. You had no idea what was sacred. We ought to honor what's sacred. And it goes back to little things. You want to talk about being old-fashioned? Amen? We need a pulpit in the pulpit up here, right? Why? Because we need to honor this right here, right? And we need to open it up and put it right here and preach from it because it's sacred, okay? I know that everybody's like, ah, it's old-fashioned and this, we don't need this and we don't need that. This is something that kind of matters, amen? That we open up the Word of God and put it in the middle of the house of God and preach from the word of God. Because there are sacred things that are sacred for a reason. 
Now, hey, the color of the carpet's not sacred, okay? You can make it whatever color you want, and I'm okay with that. These flowers up here aren't sacred. That communion table, even though it's beautiful and has a wonderful thing, it's not necessarily sacred. Now, when we bring in the blood and the bread, sacred. Because his word has said it's sacred. It doesn't turn into anything magical, okay? It doesn't, it doesn't do anything like that. But who it's talking about made it sacred. Sacred thing that we observe it. How important for us to understand. Because if we do not value what is sacred, judgment is swift. Judgment is This is what he's telling them in verse 2. He says, Israel, listen, I'm calling your sin out. You need to care for the poor. He says you need to understand how to control yourself. You need to know what is sacred. This is how he starts his book. Pretty heavy, isn't it? Guess what? It gets heavier. Okay? We're going to come and visit some more of them. Every head bowed, every eye closed tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us opportunity this morning to introduce this book. Pray that you'd use it. Dear Lord, we're thankful that as we read it, the application jumps off the page. It, it, it almost goes without saying. We see, dear God, we see, just like the children of Israel, who when you zeroed in on them, we see ourselves. We say, Lord, I'm... that's me, Lord. I know it. Dear God, help us just repent come and say Lord help us help me do better help me grow a broken and a contrite heart you will not refuse dear God help us to humble ourselves do what we need to do in your in your house tonight in Christ's holy name we pray amen as we stand and sing page 56 in a place called Halloween And I believe In a man's name is Jesus And I believe That he gave his life Was there the day?